Good morning. Good morning. I am Amy, if I don't know you, and I'm excited to, hey guys, I like the boy band up here this morning, that was nice. Um, man band, I'm sorry, man band. Um, I'm carrying on in our series on dining with Jesus, and I'm excited about today's message because it's revolving around a fish story, a fishing story. Are there any fishermen in the room? Tim's got his arms up. Oh, okay, okay, I see, I see you. Um, me too, you might not know this, but um, I'm feeling it right now because we just got back from vacation and I got to do some fishing. Can you show the, yeah, look at that. I don't catch big ones, but I catch fat sunnies and those are delicious. And, and a fish fry. And then because my brother's in the room and out of respect for him, I have a picture of him with the giant northern he caught, um, feeling good. And um, so we spent a week in Minnesota. This is, this is like my, in my genes. As a kid, I grew up going to what we called the chef cabin, tiny little fishing cabin, and we would fish and swim. And we even bathed in the lake didn't have a, a, a proper shower in our, in our um, cabin. So, you know, you all think I'm high maintenance, some of you, I know, and I'm not, okay? This is, this is who I am too, I'm complex. Um, <laughs> and anyway, so we had so much fun um, two weeks ago just fishing and swimming and um, enjoying northern Minnesota. It was so lovely. Um, and we did have a fishing story that week as well. So. The best story from the week is um, actually from Jack Becker. So Jack is my son, he's four, and he has a blankie that he's obsessed with. Called, he calls it his elephant blankie. And he, uh, it was pretty windy this day that we were fishing, that's Matthew's dad. And we were fishing, and his, he had his blankie with him because ta- it's his third arm and it blew away, it blew off the dock and into the water and we're fishing and I'm like, ah, what are we gonna do? And Ron is a smart man, he's like, I'll reel it in. So he goes and tries to, we spent all this time trying to reel this blanket in because it was all kinds of seaweed and just weeds around, you know? And so none of us wanted to get in. But you know what I did? Because I'm a good mom, we couldn't get that you can see the picture, he's, he's got a hold of it, and then it falls right at this moment. And Jack is so stressed, he's pulling on his hair, he's like, oh no, my elephant blankie, like, I mean, he is, he is undone. So, in this story that we're gonna hear in scripture today, Peter jumps into the water, he actually puts more clothes on to jump in the water. I, I was fully dressed, I did take my pants off, I won't show you a picture of my entry into the water. And it was funny too, because Matthew was coming up, he didn't know what was going on, he said he just walked up, and everyone was gathered around, he's like, I just saw you taking your pants off and running into the water. He's like, okay, I need an explanation for this. So we did get the blanket, elephant blankie has been um, retrieved and washed and we're good, but that was about as good of a fishing story as we had a couple weeks ago. But today's message is another fishing story um, and a meal that Jesus has um, specifically with Peter. Um, so before I, want, before I jump into the story, and this is, this is at the end of John, it's kind of the epilogue of John, the final story um, in John. And, uh, but before I jump into John 21, I wanna give you a little context so you know what's going on. Um, Jesus had been crucified and 
as you can imagine, Peter is feeling it, and all the disciples, right? They're sad, they're discouraged, they're confused. Um, I just spent some time even this week thinking about like, what would they have been feeling in that moment? Um, Unmet expectations, grief, sorrow, disappointment, confusion. I mean, they were his best friends. They gave up their whole lives to follow him. They gave up fishing, you know, they gave up their families and their jobs, and now he's gone. But actually, he was resurrected, as we know. And he began to show himself to people. So he showed himself to Mary Magdalene at the tomb. And then he shows himself to Peter and his disciples. And he does that in the upper room. So these guys, um, before we jump into this story, these guys are in the upper room where they have heard all about, they've watched Jesus be killed. and they are scared. They're scared. It says in scripture that they locked themselves in because they were like, what if the Jew, are we gonna be killed? You know. So they're scared, they don't know what to do, and they're sitting in this upper room together wondering what's next. And Jesus appears to them as his resurrected self. And maybe I've you know, read and heard all kinds of things about was Jesus, like, does resurrection change you? I assume so, even in your physical appearance. And so maybe Jesus looked a little different, you know, like a version of him and they were a little confused, but he appeared to them and he showed them like, hey, look at my hands, like it's me guys. And he says something to them, but very little. He doesn't sit and chat with them. He doesn't hug them and greet them and have this whole moment with them. He appears to them and he says, this in John 20, 21 and 22. Again, Jesus said, and the reason it's again is because he said this to, to them before he even died, before he was crucified. Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Like again, he's saying, again, hey, did you not get it? I'm sending you. What are you doing in this room together? And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. So he's reminding them, hey, remember what I called you to. I called you to be fishers of men. Uh, I called you to go to Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth with my love. Um, And you guys are sitting in this room. And so he breathes on them, weird but interesting, you know, the breath of Jesus on them and says, I'm sending you out. And then the next scene we see is John 21. And that's the story I wanna talk about today. In John 21, we find Peter, Um, in that room, and he says, well, I'm gonna go fishing. Jesus leaves, and Peter says, I'm gonna go fishing. Anybody wanna come with me? And some guys, some of the disciples say yes, and they go out, and they fish. They go back to the boat, back to the nets, and they go out, and they spend the whole night fishing. Now, they haven't done this for a few years, but this was their trade, their skill. They know how to do it. They're familiar. It's, It's very familiar to them. And they go back out and they start fishing, something they haven't done in years since they've been with Jesus. And I wondered this week, again, why would would they have done that? Like literally they just saw Jesus resurrected. He was in the room with them, proved who he was, said, "Uh, peace be with you. Remember, like I'm sending you out, breathes on them and is like, you have the Holy Spirit now, go. And Peter's like, well, I'm gonna go fishing. That's a weird reaction, right? And I thought about it some more, and I thought, you know, I understand. I don't think, it it even says in scripture, um, in John 
20, it talks about how they didn't fully understand the resurrection. And do you blame them? Like, I don't know that I fully understand the resurrection. The concept of a resurrection, especially for a person in front of you that you knew that was dead and is now alive, like that's gotta be confusing, right? But what they do know is that it's not the way it was before. Even if Jesus is resurrected and he's appeared to them and sent them out, he is not with them in the way that he was before. It's different. And so I imagine that in this state of grief and confusion and wondering what do we do, what's next, what is life like now that we've lost our leader, our best friend, like they wanted to go back to what was familiar. Amen? Do you resonate with that? I was like, wow, I feel that. Like when I'm in a season of transition or when I've grieved in my life, had times of grieving, deep grieving or even just confusion, um, or being in that weird hard place of like what's next, it makes me crave what I know. It makes me crave what's tangible, what's familiar, what's easy. And I think that's probably a lot of why Peter went fishing that night. It felt tangible, it felt easy, it felt familiar. But it was not easy. He didn't catch anything. They didn't catch anything that night. John 21 verse five is Jesus on the scene. Jesus comes onto the scene. They're not catching anything. They're having a long night of fishing, something that's familiar, that's easy. They're desiring that and they don't catch anything and then they see this figure on shore and they don't know who it is. It says they didn't recognize it. It was Jesus, but they didn't recognize him. And maybe it was because you know, they're far enough off, it's hard to see what's on shore. Maybe it's because of that resurrected look that Jesus had, he looks a little different. But they didn't recognize that it was him. And at John 21 verse five, it says that Jesus called out, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. And he said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he'd taken it off and jumped in the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. I love this moment. I love this moment because Peter does something that I do react impulsively out of your feelings, out of your emotions, you know, like, oh, it's Jesus. And you know why they knew it was Jesus? Because this is a familiar thing. When they walked with Jesus and served with Jesus and followed Jesus, they saw him provide over and over and over. And clearly this is a miraculous catch and they're aware. And I love the dynamics in their relationships. Like John is the discerning one who's like, Oh, it is the Lord, you know? And Peter's the impulsive one who's like emotional. He jumps in and wants to swim to Jesus. And the rest, it says later that like, um, the other disciples followed in the boat, towing in the net full of it. They're like doing their job still like, okay, well, we got all this fish. Let's bring it in. They're reasonable, you know? But I love that Peter's not reasonable. I love that about him. And I love that in this moment, you see this reaction from him that is that reveals how much he loves and misses Jesus. He sees that it's him, he has this moment, and he jumps in, 
Instead of removing his pants, as I did, you know, he puts his cloak back on. I was reading all kinds of stuff this week. Apparently, lots of folks fished in the nude. Or, you know, you just have your little loincloth. So he puts this, you know, maybe in reverence for Jesus. I don't know. But he puts something back on, maybe just out of enthusiasm. He's like, let me get my stuff on and go. He jumps out of the boat. And really, it says they're not far off. They're only 100 yards from shore. Like, truly, it would just take a few minutes for them to get to shore And Peter could get off the boat and go see Jesus. But he doesn't do that because he's Peter and he loves Jesus. So I love his reaction here. He jumps out, he swims and runs to meet Jesus and he gets to the shore and he sees him. And I also love like in Peter's, he hasn't fished in a few years, but man, this had to have been a catch. They said it was a catch so big the net should have been breaking. Somebody counted it, 153 fish and this would have been like the catch of a lifetime. Like in, in, in the business, it would have been a, a catch of a lifetime and he doesn't care. He's not thinking about the fish or the catch. He is now thinking only about Jesus. And then you think about Peter's context. So if we go back before they were in the upper room together, back before that, what was Peter's last kind of interaction around Jesus? Somebody shout it out. Yeah, yeah, his denial. Peter denied Jesus three times. Peter was around, very present in the midst of questioning and when Jesus was arrested. And um, if you remember the story, Jesus, tell, a servant girl says, wait, aren't you one of Jesus' disciples? And he's like, no. She's like, and then later on, again, I think you're one of Jesus' disciples. And he's like, no, no, I don't know him. And again, yeah, no, I don't, I don't know him. And he denies Jesus three times. So I just, this week I sat there and I just imagined, what would it be like to be Peter in this moment? Can you imagine the weight that he'd been carrying around? Like, the guilt that you would have felt, because then what, hap- what happened after he denied Jesus? Jesus was killed. Jesus was arrested, killed, crucified. And that was Peter's last interaction with Jesus. And he knew that Jesus knew, that God knew. People knew. People knew this about Peter. What kind of weight would he have been carrying in that moment? And I wonder if that's part of his kind of confused stupor. His grief is like, oh, I got this wrong, you know. I loved him so deeply and then I denied him. It's like the the same exuberance and uninhibition in him that made him jump in the boat to follow Jesus is also that same kind of impulsivity that caused him in his fear to say, no, I don't know Jesus. It's like a beautiful thing and and a painful thing. And so I just imagine the guilt, the weight and the burden of his denial in this moment. And then he sees Jesus. And it's like, he, I was like, he literally jumps at the chance to be reconciled. Like, oh, Jesus, it is you. And before, maybe I was confused, you know? I didn't know exactly what was going on and exactly who you are. But I see you on shore, and this feels very familiar to me. This catch of fish and you're looking at me, and he jumps in and he swims to him, literally jumping at the chance to be restored and reconciled with Jesus. And then Jesus, 
as he does what he loves to do and why we've been in this whole series is he invites them to share a meal together, which would have been kind of significant because you don't share a meal that you're uh, with someone that you're in conflict with. So he would have been, it would have been an invitation, like, yes, Peter, let's be reconciled. Yeah, I love you. In John 21, verse 9, it says, when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've just caught, which I love because Jesus already had fish, but you see this over and over, where like even with the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus is like, give me the loaves and fish you have. Like there's a way that Jesus invites our involvement all the time. He says, bring the fish you've just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back in the boat, he dragged the net ashore, it was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. But I love that, because they wanted to ask, like, just to clarify, it is you, right, Jesus? Like, this, is, this resurrection stuff is hard to understand. But they know, they know based on all these things, this is the Lord. They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and he took the bread and he gave it to, him, gave it to them, and he did the same with the fish. Now, this was the third time Jesus had appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. But something different happened in this interaction. I feel like they're starting to understand the resurrection. The disciples had not understood the resurrection of Jesus as it says in scripture. And like I said, what a concept. It's hard to understand, but there is a way that they are beginning to understand. He's provided this massive catch. And I imagine that all these memories for them would have started coming back of like Jesus' provision over many, many occasions. And then I love that Jesus makes them a meal because it doesn't get more real or tangible than someone cooking you a meal, right? There's all the senses are engaged. They talk about the charcoal and the fish cooking over the fire. Like I imagine they can smell that, must have smelled so good. And and they're watching Jesus with his hands fix that fish and now they're tasting it. Like there is nothing more tangible um, than eating a meal with Jesus. And I think in this moment, it's like, the smells and the tastes and this moment with Jesus is like cutting through any confusion or grief and suddenly they're having clarity of like, oh yeah, it's you, Jesus. Jesus is alive and resurrection is real and they're literally tasting it. And I love this story. I, like all week, everyone I was around, I was with some girlfriends yesterday, I was like, let me tell you this story. I love this story because this is a full picture, full circle moment for Peter. And it is for a few reasons. Jesus is so thoughtful in how he sets this whole thing up. The first moment is this, that this invitation to put your nets out after a long unsuccessful night of fishing was not the first invitation from Jesus to Peter. You know where else this is in scripture? Luke 5, the calling of Peter. His calling was almost the identical story to this. He was out fishing, Jesus was teaching, Peter was out minding his own business, kind of listening in, but he was fishing, he'd had a long night of fishing, he'd come back, he was cleaning his nets, frustrated because he'd had no catch and he should be really good at this job. And Jesus looks at him and says to him, 
Why don't you, why don't you, go, why, why don't you go in the deep? Luke 5 verse four through 11. When Jesus had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they'd done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. They all signaled to their partners to the other boat to come and help them. And they filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees And he said, go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, here it is, don't be afraid, from now on you'll fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything and followed him. Peter's calling to be a disciple of Jesus was this moment. Do you see the mirror images happening here? This is a familiar moment. This is a full circle moment for Peter. Like, oh, this has happened before. This is how you called me. And I think Jesus is reminding him, now today on this same lake, that morning on the same lake that he was called years ago, Jesus is reminding him, remember me? Remember my provision for you? Remember my care for you? Remember our love for each other? You left everything to follow me and now here you are back fishing for fish. Remember how I called you to something different, to fish for people, and you are back here. And this is like a full circle moment for Peter. And then it continues. It gets, there's another layer. The additional layer is that Jesus now speaks to this place of pain and shame for Peter. So they've already had this moment where Peter's like, whoa, Jesus did it again. He provided this massive catch for me again. And now they're eating breakfast and Jesus wants to talk. He's like, let me get to that place of pain and shame. John 21, 15 says that when they'd finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And I don't really know what these is. And even in all my like, research this week, I'm like, I don't think anyone really knows. It's, everybody's got a conclusion, but I don't know. Is it, do you love me more than your nets that you've gone back to, than the fish that you've gone back to, than the job and the familiarity of your old life? Do you love me more than that? You know, or is it, do you love me more than the rest of the disciples that you're with? You told me you did. You know, you, when I told you that you were going to deny me, you're like, no, no, Lord, I will stick with you. You know, do you still, is that still true? And he says, yes, Lord, I, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. And I love, I was thinking, why did he say take care of my sheep? And why is he mixing metaphors, you know? Can we stick with the fish thing here? But I think what he's saying to him is like, I'm still planning to use you in ministry. Like, I still want to use you. Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Your time is not done. You are not done fishing for people. And the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted but when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, 
follow me. Do you see the full circle moments going on here? He is in this place and now he has been asked three times, do you love me? Jesus did not ask this because Jesus needed to know, needed confirmation or affirmation that Peter actually loved him. He asked Peter, do you love me? Because Peter needed to know that Jesus loves him and that Jesus believes in him and his calling and who he's made him to be. His belief in him and the work that he sent him to do. Because in that moment, like I said, he would have had those lingering thoughts and memories of his failure. And he asked three times, why? Because Peter denied Jesus three times. He's bringing it full circle, completeness and resurrection in this moment, a restoration in this moment. Isn't that amazing? I was just struck by how beautiful this is and how thoughtful Jesus is. Do you realize that? That Jesus is so, so thoughtful in, in what you need and what you long for and, and what he, how he wants to remind you of his love for you and how your failure does not define you and he wants to use you anyway. And then it's even more full circle than that, okay? I was crying over this this week and then I read this, N.T. Wright, love him. He wrote a commentary, John for Everyone, and he says this, I didn't even think about this, and it all happens beside a charcoal fire. Think back to the smell of that fire wafting through the chilly April air. Think of Peter going out in shame, angry with himself, knowing what Jesus knew, knowing that the beloved disciple knew, knowing that God knew, and hearing the next day what had happened to Jesus. Not even the resurrection itself could wave a magic wand and get rid of that memory. Nothing could, except revisiting it and bathing it in God's own healing. There was a charcoal fire. It says if you go back to Peter's denial, he stood around a charcoal fire warming himself as he denied Jesus. Jesus builds a charcoal fire and cooks fish for him. Talk about full circle. Now we're, in, we're like, we are full, I mean like, Jesus is setting him up, like re reminding him of these moments. It was at this lake and you, you know, your denial happened over a fire and now you're over a fire eating with me where I'm telling you, you do love me, remember? And I'm telling you three times so that you remember and you know. Wow, Jesus is so tender and loving here. And I was talking with Matthew about it this week, like he's on his way to being a therapist and we've talked a lot about memories and the healing of memories and the need for healing of memories. Our bodies are crazy and our minds are amazing. The way God has made us, even our physical bodies store memories. And memories are so deep that it takes so much to kind of heal those and to, to tell us new truths. And I'm like, Jesus is, that's what Jesus is doing here. He is healing a memory. <laughs> he is healing a core memory, a core identity memory for Peter. Peter, this is what you think about yourself. Let me remind you. What I've called you to, remember, remember this moment. You, you dropped everything to follow me. That's the Peter that you actually are. And you do love me, remember? And you do love me, remember? And you do love me, remember? And he is healing this memory in this beautiful moment. And he's bringing Peter's failure to the surface. What a gift. We don't think of that, do we? But what a gift. We often want to run or hide 
for sure. This is what I do. I want to avoid my failures. But Jesus lovingly brings them to the surface and addresses them because he knows that's the only way that those things, those core identities, core memories about ourselves are healed. One of my favorite theologians, Brent Clark, or as I like to call, B.A. Clark, like N.T. Wright, which he is a B.A. Anyway, when we refuse to deal with our fail, he said this, when we refuse to deal with our failures, we leave ourselves open to self-doubt, shame, and confusion about our purpose in life. These experiences left unresolved are paralyzing, depressing, and destructive as any feeling in the world. But Jesus goes where the pain is, and this is the most gracious and loving thing that he can do. And you know what else I realized? I was done writing this sermon and I was mulling it over and asking Jesus if there was anything else. And you know what I saw? I saw Peter differently. In Luke 5, verse 21, when Peter's first called by Jesus and he gets this massive catch of fish, what does he do? He falls on his knees and he sends Jesus away from him. And he's like, I'm a sinful man, get away from me. What does he do three years later? When he knows Jesus, he knows Jesus loves him and he knows his own love for Jesus. When he sees Jesus in his moment of failure, what does he do? He doesn't, yes, he runs to him. He doesn't, he doesn't push him away and say, oh, get away from me, I'm a sinful man. He has grown, he's changed. And for me, I was like, oh Jesus, that's what I wanna do in my life and that's what I want our church to do and what I want us to understand is like, you will still fail. Your whole life you will fail. It is, a, it is just how we are built. But if we learn to just run to Jesus, jump in the boat, oh, there he is, okay, I wanna go be reconciled. Like, and I want him to remind me of who I am and that he loves me, that's all he wants from us. And so this morning, we know in this room and online and, and people who are listening, we know there's God's mercy and his grace. We just saw it in communion. We see it so beautifully in this story. There is nothing officially on the record against us when we follow Jesus and ask for forgiveness. It says in Psalm three, uh, 103, as far as the east is from the west, so, is our, so our sins are, they're forgiven. They are removed from us. But there are still, I resonate with Peter, there are still core memories, core identities that I've held on to, imaginations that I've had of myself, of my old failings, of old shame, of old places of pain, old wounds. Don't those things stick around? And this morning, Jesus is reminding me and he's reminding you and us that you are not a failure, that resurrection is real, it is as real and tangible as grilled fish over a charcoal fire, and it's for you. The risen Christ believes in you. So if you're living in that moment of confusion this morning, if you resonate with that, like, oh, I know what it's like to be in that kind of lost, confused place. Unmet expectations, disappointment, and you just want to return to old familiar ways, to what's tangible, to what's comfortable, to what's familiar. And maybe in the process of that, you've stopped leaning into Jesus. This morning, I think he's reminding us, like, lean in, have breakfast with me. Remember those first days of you following Jesus. And I want you to hear him saying, I love you. Do you love me? I love you. I love you. I love you. 
And what do we know about Peter's future? Like that moment changed him. Something changed in him. Because next we see in Acts that Peter's preaching this big old sermon and thousands of people come to follow Jesus and experience his love. So there was something that was different in him. He ran to Jesus, he experienced the restoration and it changed something forever. And so I wanna close this morning by having us just spend a moment listening. So the worship team will come up I I just want you to use your imagination for a minute. So wherever you are, if you're comfortable, will you close your eyes and just use your, God gave you your imagination. This is not woo-woo, you're fine. You You can trust God. Close your eyes and let him speak. I want you to imagine yourself like Peter. You know, just picture a lake. Picture yourself sitting on the side of the lake shore. Maybe smelling some of that bonfire smell, that kind of charcoal smell. And imagine that Jesus is sitting across from you like he was Peter. Is there anything he wants to say to you? Maybe your scene is different. Maybe there's like a failure that you're thinking of right now. Maybe a core memory that's painful. I just want to give you just a minute to listen. Is there something Jesus wants to say to you and remind you of his love for you? (laughs) 